So iGen is more depressed, anxious, less connected, less independent, etc. than any other generation before it. We've talked about that the last couple of weeks. We've seen the data. So what is the way, we have to ask, this is kind of the how-to next two weeks, that we create more joy, less stress, more connection, more independence in a generation that is lacking it. And we're going to look at the answer to the question in the next two weeks. And to be honest, it's one of those things where the logical answer is very easy, right? But the practical answer of how do we implement this is very hard. And it's very hard. It can be very difficult because um, how do you be proactive to something that's new, right? So for parents who have not dealt with this as youth, well, how do I be proactive to a tech generation when I didn't have a cell phone, right? I had a cord that I could drag into the other room, talk to my friend, and hope that my mom and dad weren't listening on the other end of the line, right? Like, that was my version of privacy. So it's very hard to be proactive when you're here, when we're dealing with this, Well, at the same time, if we are reactive, it is so much harder to change a narrative than it is to inform it, right? Um, So that's why we're talking about this here, okay? So this is an uphill battle um, that we're going to see, but we we will find wounded people to minister the whole way up the hill, and those are the ones we can bring to faith. Um, Unfortunately, uh, for this uphill battle, when it comes to um, iGen, there's really already been a slaughter, um, and we're going to see that. Uh, we're going to be in Luke 10 today, um, 25 through 37. It's a well-known, um, for, it's a well-known section of Scripture. We're going to be talking about the Good Samaritan. Um, can I have a, a, someone offer to read that for me to keep my voice fresh? Luke 10, 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up, that one? Yep. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what should I, shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed before he was dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road when he saw him pass by on the other side. So likewise the Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay him you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, today as we talk about the implications of living a life of mercy, of living a life of grace, 
and of seeking out those that are in discomfort. Uh, Lord, may we be honest with where we stand and all that. Um, are we people who are empathetic towards those who are hurting, or are we those that shy away and try not to see it? Um, in your son's name, amen. Um, I forget where I saw it, right? Um, but there was a, uh, you know, an updated version of the Good Samaritan, and the first person that passes him on the highway you know, has the earbuds in and the iPod on, and he's rocking out to like some crazy, you know, probably NF, I mean, if he's a Pharisee, right? Because he really needs uh, the religious music. I'm not calling NF a Pharisee. I like him. Um, but that's what he's doing. So he doesn't hear the screams of the man in the ditch on the side of the road. He's just walking by. The other one, right, the second person, he's, he's, he's on Snapchat or Instagram or whatever. And he does see the man, but he does tweet about it and uh, hashtags help. And maybe somebody will come along later and uh, deal with it, right? Um, because it's kind of like the modern equivalent to it. And the third person actually doesn't have anything. He's on the road, and he sees it, and he does something. Um, and that's kind of the modern parable, right? Um, so... Um, before we begin any further on that, I want you to keep that picture in your mind. I realized on the way here this morning that uh, when I was doing this PowerPoint on the plane on the way back, I put placeholders on where I was going to insert pictures, and I had not inserted pictures. So you're going to see placeholders. It's going to say, insert picture of red pen here. So you, in your mind's eye, we're going to do a lot of non-digital things today. You get to imagine um, a lot of the pictures that we get to see. So um, know that as we move forward. Um, but we have a generation that is too busy looking at their cell phone to see the neighbor at the side of the road. We also have an adult generation that, for the most part, has encouraged it, okay, um, or told that it's not very important. Um, and the answer to impacting a generation is simply this, right? Um, it is empathy. That's the, that's the answer. Seeing our neighbor um, as our neighbor and loving them as ourselves, right? Like, that's the, that's the key. Um, but iGen lacks this, and unfortunately, again, we have the data to, to, to talk about it. So empathy, um, we have a measurable dip in empathy among today's students. Um, there's been a rise in narcissism among college-age students for the past really 30 years. Um, narcissists are interested only in getting what they can for themselves. Um, I always know what I'm doing. Um, I've never been satisfied until I get what I deserve. Uh, the self-admiration craze wouldn't be worrisome if the focus on others was increasing at the same time, because they can, but they haven't. Um, it isn't happening. Teens are now 40% lower in empathy levels than they were three decades ago, and in the same period, narcissism has rose by 58%, right? So it's a huge jump in narcissism levels and lack of empathy levels. I, I, I talk, I, when I talk about it with students, I talk about it as treating people like apps, like what can you do for me at this moment? Like the function key, I, I use the example of uh, people in the checkout lines, right? Like we treat them like, okay, you're just here to provide a function for me. You're not a person. Bag my groceries, take my money, and then that's 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 the end of our experience with them, right? And so if we can't treat people like an app or get some reward from them at the back end, then what's the use, right? Two, um, we have observed a clear increase in pure cruelty. Um, the bully, bullying rates have gone up. Um, one study showed youth bullying increased by a whopping 52% in just four years. This was between 2003 and 2007. And now we see evidence of bullying starting in children as young as three, which is crazy, right? Um, another 2014 study found that cyberbullying incidents within a single year had tripled. Tripled. 2014. Remember how we talked about 2012? Suddenly now everyone is on uh, well, not Instagram, but social media. Um, pure cruelty has become so intense it affects kids' mental health. One in five 
middle school students contemplate suicide as a solution due to peer cruelty. One in five. Okay. Legislators are so concerned that now all 50 states have proposed anti-bullying laws. This is the life they live in. Um, three, experts observe more cheating and weaker moral reasoning in young people today. Um, kids with identities based on caring and social responsibility are more likely to consider others' needs and shift away from this. Um, 60% of adults believe that young people's failure to learn moral values is a serious national problem. So everyone kind of agrees with that, or at least 60% of them do. And over the past two decades, there's been a decline in a child's moral character. 72% of Americans say moral values are getting worse, and a large majority of college students say cheating is necessary to get ahead. And 70% of college students admit to cheating. Okay? Somewhere in the other 30%, they don't admit to it, but they do it, right? But 70% at least admit to it. Um, not surprising, cheating is also in the upswing. Um, and this is on the high school level, undergraduate level, and graduate level, which is crazy. Um, empathy is part of the antidote. Um, and then our plugged-in high-pressure culture is a leading to a mental health epidemic among young people. One in five U.S. youth meets the criteria for a mental disorder in their lifetime. So teen stress is now at higher levels than uh, reported by adults. That's been weird. We've seen that shift in the last six years. There's more larger percentage of teens that struggle with mental health issues than adults that struggle with mental health issues on a percentage level. Clearly, there's more adults. Um, and so as anxiety increases, empathy wanes. It's harder to feel for others when you're in survival mode, and that's the state too many of our children are in, and that's called the so-called empathy gap. So how do we deal with that, right? So how does our culture breed narcissism? And we're going to talk about that briefly. How does our culture breed narcissism? Um, and this is we have a generation raised on praise, we have a generation that cannot be criticized, a generation where comfort is king and success is stressed over empathy. We're going to talk about those four things. The reason I'm talking about this is that I want you to see the impetus of really where this kind of grows out of, right? And so if you have a question on how do we combat these things today, feel free to ask that question because next week is tons of how-to, right? So there's some how-to today, but next week is like, okay, how do we deal with this? both as a church, as families in particular, and then if you are uh, in school, either it can be public or private, uh, what type of interactions can you have with your school board, your uh, PTA, uh, to where you can begin to address some of these issues, right? Because you have the power. Uh, we live in a democracy. Uh, technically, um, the government and those institutions that we're in are supposed to serve us. That's a whole other issue, if you believe that or not. But that's technically how it's supposed to be, right? Um, so, a generation raised on praise, um, insert trophy pick, um, so uh, you can make it uh, as much as you want. Thank you. Uh, trophy pick. I was going to do a Dude Perfect trophy, because they always do the best trophies at the end of their videos. It's, it's legit. If you're not hooked on Dude Perfect yet, you should be. Um, it's biblical. Put it up there. So, uh, so, my generation got this too. I'm a millennial, right? So, it was like trophy for everyone, right? So, I got a trophy for every time I played soccer my whole entire life, including one team where the, we only won one game at the end of the year, right? Like, I had no business getting a trophy. I should have cut them a larger check, right? Like, we ruined the league. Same team went undefeated next year, but that's a whole other story, right? Um, so, like, trophy for everyone. Everyone's a winner. Um, we're concerned with making sure that everyone feels like a winner. You'll hear that language a lot. We'll make sure that everyone's self-esteem is up, right? Because that's really important. Um, in a world of self-help, we forget to help others. And ironically, it's a causal link to a greater sense of self-worth. 
Okay, so it is a causal link to a greater sense of self-worth. Millennials are known for having some of the highest, like, personal self-views ever. Um, we're probably the more narcissistic generation, and we are. I completely agree with that, right? Like, I probably have an unhealthy view of how confident I should be, right? I'm probably overconfident, um, and I get that. Um, so parents get mad if other kids get praise, and their kids get left out. This is really interesting. There's a study done... <clears throat> And elementary school realized that they were putting way too much emphasis on school success and not enough on empathy and on showing kindness. So they made an audible halfway through the year. And instead of the awards, which they were doing awards like once a month for students, come up, you, you won, whatever, you, you won, you got a highest grade on this test. You know, they were giving out awards for students to, you know, encourage their self-esteem because you need a, um, you need a, essentially a get-together every month with the whole school to praise kids, right? Um, that's important. Um, and so they started giving out kindness awards, right? Yeah, we can do this. They, they were so excited. Like, acts of kindness, they were swapping stories. Hey, this kid helped this kid who was on the crutches get to class. They carried the backpack for them the whole entire week, right? They're giving out these awards. They're thinking it's going to be a huge hit between their students and their parents. And all they got was angry uh, phone um, conversations from parents saying, how dare you switch things up mid-year? Um, this was my favorite one. You're supposed to prepare my kids to succeed, not to be nice. Um, if you told us we were giving kindness awards, I would have taught my daughter to be kind so she could have won. Right? Like that's, like that's the response from parents, right? Like, and it's like, well, of course it's the culture we live in. Um, so it's all about the accolade for students and parents. So kids were coming home not having won these kindness awards and they were feeling bad about themselves, right? Like their self-worth was tanking because they hadn't succeeded they hadn't received some sort of praise, um, and because if you receive praise, you expect praise. This is this is a, a psychological fact about human existence, right? Um, so it's just interesting. An Ohio State University study surveyed parents and their kids during four periods over one and a half years to identify how narcissism develops over time, and the results were clear. Parents who overvalued their children when the study began ended up with children with higher scores on narcissism later. So there's a one-to-one causation link between how a parent views their kids or the, the worth they put on their kids and narcissism scores. And it's true. Like, we all want... I'm, I'm, I, got a, I got a six-year-old, right? I mean, we're homeschooled, and we're definitely getting that bumper sticker that says my kid's an honor child, right? Like, I mean, I get to... He's the top in this class. Um, but, like, we all want that, right? And I'm sure Steve's going to be like, okay, Dad, don't put that on your car, right? Like, they probably care about it less than we do, but gosh... My kid's smart, top of his class. He's also the bottom, but we don't tell him. <laughs> so, hey, Trisha. Sorry. Oh, you're good. I like it. You can still come in. I had a meeting before. <laughs> uh, two, generation cannot be criticized. Um, insert picture of red pen there. Um, it was going to be very beautiful. Like, you just see, never mind. Um, but you can paint the red pen picture in your mind. Um, so a major switch on um, how we parent also trickles down to a gener- uh, uh, general culture. Um, I think the clearest story of how this happened is the red pen issue. So uh, most of us, when we went to school, we got our, um, our tests and quizzes and stuff marked up in red pens, right? Um, but they found that, um, well, that's a little bit too judgmental. Uh, so PaperMate, uh, yeah, you can laugh. Um, PaperMate switched to um, purple pens uh, because it was found to be a more soothing color. And, 
They ruined my favorite color. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, like, think about it. Like, overflating kids' egos poses a problem. First, the more kids hear accolades, the more they need them. Second, kids who feel entitled believe the world owes them special treatment. Um, forget the other guy, life is about me. Um, what's happening as the most praised generation takes their I am special feeling to college or the workplace? This is what happens. College professors complain that students feel that they deserve special treatment. And the surveys support this view, right? Two-thirds of students believe professors should give their grades special consideration. They explain that they're trying hard. <laughs> just, trying. Yep. just trying. Just <laughs> trying. One-third feel they deserve at least a B for coming to class. <laughs> One-third feel their final exam should be rescheduled if they hamper their vacation plans. So Wall Street executives are shaking their heads as new young hires con- continue expecting grades. Fortune 500 companies are even hiring... I'm not kidding. Praise consultants to teach managers how to compliment young employees. Oh, my word. Right? So, iGen is not learning to praise others, though. So, even though all this praise is being digged out, they're the least likely generation to divvy up praise, right? Um, now, uh, nor see others unless they serve a purpose. This means, this means they miss the hurting man on the side of the road. Unless, of course, that, of course, that hurting man compliments them on their new shoes. Right? Like, that's, that's what they see. Um, we can talk about this next one all day. Uh, generation or comfort is king. It was going to be Johnny Manziel, right? Like Megan it rain. Um, so enjoy that picture. Um, so we've talked about this comfort versus risk. We've talked about this comfort versus risk paradigm ad nauseum, so I won't repeat it, but it plays out here again. I mean, the story of the Good Samaritan, the reason the first two passed the broken man, is because it would require risk to help, right? There could be other robbers. This could be a trap. I could get blood on my, on my you know, priestly robe and therefore can't can't help out at work today because I'm in charge of the sacrifice, right? Um, it would be hard. It's why narcissism rates score higher with wealthier kids. The wealthier your kid is, the more higher their narcissism rates are. Um, and narcissism, believe it or not, is directly linked to experiencing depression and anxiety. There's a one-to-one correspondence with it. Um, data also shows that privileged kids are experiencing depression, anxiety, disorders, and substance abuse at higher rates than any other socioeconomic group of young people in this country. And we know that. Like, the, we, if anyone is in the public schools, I mean, Caleb can speak to it on the Wakeland, right? Did they call it Weedland? Is that the, yeah, Weedland, you know? Um, like, substance abuse is rampant within higher income communities because it's available, um, they're narcissistic, and it kind of leads to self-medicating. It's just how it works. Um, it happened in my school, too. I mean, I, I went to a more affluent uh, school in high school, and that was 2004, the same way. Um, 1990, it's the same. I mean, 1980, it was the same, same, way, yeah. same way. It's higher, though, now, which is crazy. The, the, the percentage of them are higher. So the main vehicle to comfort, according to iGen, is wealth. 81% of young adults now name getting rich as their generation's most or second most important life goal. So four out of five. That's the goal in life. Okay? And yet, this points to another change and uh, a challenge for nurturing empathy. Research shows that the more money you have, the less we care about others' feelings and are more self-focused we become. Wealth actually decreases our feeling of compassion for others. In fact, people of lower economic statuses are more helpful and generous than individuals of higher income status. Why? Well, think about it. They live in cultures where they have to depend on the need for others, so they have to ask for help. Which is a huge, believe it, training tool on empathy. If you have to ask for help and be open to empathy, you are much more likely to dish out empathy, too, because you feel the exact same way. So in our culture, I mean, that's one of the reasons we do, like, I'll get to that, but we try to build that into our ministry, too. We want empathy moments. 
not only where you're receiving empathy, but where you're also giving empathy. Like, that's important. Um, uh, so, I mean, Jesus wasn't kidding when he said, again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Well, because statistically, the rich man isn't stopping on the side of the road to help out the person. Any questions on these three things before we move on to the next one? I'm flying here. I'm trying to. If you have questions, please stop. So success is stressed over empathy. So this is a success versus empathy picture. I didn't have a thought in my mind for this one yet. So uh, you can fill out that one. Donald Trump. Yeah, maybe, is maybe. Success. <laughs> I don't that. think there's any empathy. empathy. In maybe, this maybe. That might be a great one. Even if Donald Trump had been like a Mother Teresa. Yeah, Mother Teresa. Arm wrestling. Sorry. Cheat win. Cheat win. Moving right along. So many of you remember the story of the school sign I talked about two weeks ago um, that I passed in town. Study hard and be kind. Right? Which that school lets you know what's important first, right? By the order in which it's placed. Um, 80% of students choose high achievement or happiness as their top priority. And so the most important task assigned to them by their parents is to succeed. So four out of the five high school students that you interact with, when they ask them, what's the most important thing your parents want from you? It is success. Four out of five. Only 20% of students picked caring for others. So that means when they had their list of choices, they skipped over that one, right? You still got one out of five. Okay. Um, So what's more? Those who gave caring low priority tended to score low on a scale for empathy. Um, Kids were also three times as likely to agree as to disagree with the statement of this. My parents are prouder if I get good grades in my class than if I'm a caring community member in class or school. So they're three times more likely to say that their parents would agree with that than the opposite. Kids believe success is more important to their parents than to be kind. Even when 96% of those surveyed parents said that they want to raise caring children and that they do believe that the development of moral character is very important. So do you see that there's clearly a disconnect here? Like we as parents want that, but somehow we're not communicating that. We talk about this in you know session meetings over time, all, all the time when it talks about you know how do we communicate best to you guys and that is we can't over communicate it's impossible to over communicate and unfortunately I don't know if we're uh, clearly we're not over communicating in a culture that this is important um, and we have to rectify that um, this is a small rabbit trail the next slide that I want to go down um, but it keeps coming up as I study this stuff and I agree that part of this is a soapbox that I have. Um, but it, it just kept popping my head back up in all the research. And this has to do with other factors in the lack of empathy. And this is just really interesting. And that has to do with the lack of fathers, right? Um, over and over again, this comes up. Um, we are very much a fatherless generation. Um, I was talking to one of uh, my friends. He's a 40-something-year-old youth pastor this week. And he said that, look, for his generation, the the dad would just drink himself into uselessness, right? He was still in the home, but he was just drunk and not present. Um, and nowadays they just leave, right? Because um, some of that has to do with economic stability. Um, you can call it that, or, or the, the ability to. Um, yes, I use Texas air quotes because I'm a Texan, so you should do that too. Okay. Um, 
So, uh, and this is really interesting. I mean, the, the one that caught me the most is that on CNN's list of 27 deadliest mass shootings in history, only one was raised in a home with his biological father. We could talk about gun reform all day, okay? I'm, I'm willing to have that conversation. We should have, maybe we should have that conversation. But until we have a conversation about how do we strengthen families in a civil society, we're still going to see this crap, right? Um, so unwanted, unwarranted criticism has always been the culprit in adolescent mental health, always. A child always told they are not good enough and not exposed to love will have major problems later in life, especially from his father. So mothers, you are important, but the data very much says that a father or at least some sort of male's influence in the home like, has major detrimental effects to them long term. Um, without both praise and constructive criticism from his father, um, this typically leads to success. Without it, for girls, it typically leads to self-harm, and for guys, it typically leads to acting out on others. So that's how it, that's how it leads. And again, you see the mass shooting thing. 66, 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of all children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists with anger problems come from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts, fatherless homes. 75% of adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes. Um, I've got to uh, work in um, some jail ministry with my father-in-law as I uh, do stuff. Sorry, there is another slide with the other um, information. And as I'm doing like, you know, a Bible study with a bunch of guys in like B block, right? Um, one of the common prayer requests that we hear from them was pray for my kids, right? Because dad's not home. And I remember that. I remember my dad not being there. And I'm so scared that that's going to happen to my kid. So it's just, it's cyclical, right? Um, And it's a link to empathy, um, that they're not taught that they're loved and valued. Um, So they have to look inward to find something. And when men look inward to find something, they typically find nothing. Um, So teaching men how to be men, like present men, I think will be, I think it will be a hallmark of the church moving forward, or at least needs to be, because this is where one of the major and a rubber meets the road thing is in the culture. Um, calling men to something greater. Um, if you want, real, I mean, Tony Evans, his work in the African-American community on this issue is second to none. Um, it's all about how do we call men to be men and love the home well. Um, and, and I think you see a lot of good health. If you want other books on that, I can give you those. Um, Cry Like a Man, um, which is, gosh, what's his name? That's a great book. Um, Again, Tony Evans has a lot of the good stuff on it. So look at his stuff. So the question that we're going to ask the rest of the class is can we instill empathy, right? We're going to cover how to instill empathy next week, but can we instill empathy? And I just want to encourage you in this, right? Like this is a trait that can be instilled. In my generation, um, when I was younger, um, there was still this kind of belief that it was something you were born with innately, right? Um, but we were still doing empathy training, even in schools. I remember I had a great teacher, Mrs. McCullough. Um, she was my second grade teacher. Um, she won Teacher of the Year that year. She was super young. And by young, I mean younger than I am now, right? And I, I still remember sitting around those uh, um, circles in class. And she'd just go through, what was your high for the week? Or what was your low for the week, right? How did that make you feel, you know? 
hey, can someone talk about, you know, why did, why did Sarah feel like she was left out? I mean, it was just this, like, we're talking about this stuff, and she was instilling empathy at a young age and trying to <coughs> how to be aware of others, right? Um, so there's a belief at one time that empathy was a personality trait. It's very clear now from the brain work that it's, some, it's a muscle that is built. Um, empathy can be instilled, and it's composed of teachable habits. Um, empathy, rather than being a nice add-on that our kids developed, is in fact integral to their current and future success, happiness, and well-being. Um, I would add that it's integral to how they live out the Christian life, too, right? Um, there's a reason loving your neighbor is one of the great commandments. But when you lack face-to-face communication due to technology, you lack the ability to, to be vulnerable, if you remember those things from shame because of filters, lack knowledge that everyone is like me, shame, loneliness, we are less empathetic. Okay. Um, we have time. I want to watch a quick video, okay, um, on the Roots of Empathy program. Yep, yeah, I did that. Um, luckily, we have internet. This is a program that is being used to do this, and I Aww. think it's just adorable. We're going to talk a little bit about it, um, but I want you to see it. Um, make sure we have sound. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. Turn it down. civil society where everybody feels a sense of belonging. help yourself but love her but we're learning that she communicates how she's feeling not with words as we do but through her body through her emotions through her facial expressions her tone of voice did you notice what she did now she's got two (laughs) they compared that she could not pick up the ball before she did today so they're learning about infant development she's vulnerable she's more vulnerable than they are and we have many vulnerable children in our classes. And so it elicits this care for her. She's adorable and she loves to play with us. Babies at first are very delicate, so you have to handle them like very gently. One thing I I like learning about of roots of empathy is learning about the newborn human body. She can get like happy when you do this or like something fun, but then if you're like taking stuff from her, she she'll get angry really easy. The children just have the capacity to own their feelings, to understand them, to know how to talk about how they feel. They would not be islands. Our mental health would go up. Roots of Empathy is a bit of a trick. We use a baby as a vehicle to help children find the vulnerability and humanity in this little baby. 
so that then you can flip it back to their own experiences. Do you think she's persistent or do you think she easily gives up? She's persistent. She's persistent. Put your hand up if you're persistent when you're trying to do something really hard. And put your hand up if sometimes it's frustrating to try and do something new. You think it's frustrating. They realize this sudden universe of everybody in the world feels the same as me. We're not so disconnected. It's very hard to hate someone if you realize they feel like you. It's very hard to be bullying someone if you realize that. If we are educating children who can read well and compute well, but can't relate well, we will have a failed society. Learning how to relate to one another requires empathy. You have to understand how the other fellow feels. This is, uh, it has a measurable change in behavior. They saw an 88% um, drop in aggression rate at a school over the school year because they put this in schools where there, there's higher bullying rates and higher aggression rates. Um, so it's just really interesting to kind of see this. Um, it's phenomenal gains. And we talked about a lot of this stuff already, right? Like how do we nurture vulnerability, right? Like it's one of the main ways that we can begin to relate with one another, to be able to see one another past the filter. Um, and so it really is just... Very interesting um, kind of um, what to do here. Um, and I want to show you this because I think iGen might not be empathetic now, but it doesn't mean they can't learn it. I think that's really encouraging. Like, empathy is a trait that you can even learn as an adult. Um, you can learn and teach as children. It really is quite beautiful. Um, a couple of ways that schools have done this and already did do this. I mean, I still remember it. I don't know if they do it anymore. I mean, I, that same Miss McCullough's class, second grade, right? I had a buddy, you know, a fifth grader that came in every week and helped me with math, right? And, man, I, I was so excited when my fifth grade buddy came, right? And so it was this cross-generational type thing where I got to learn that someone cares for me. And at the same time, um, we'd write them notes to encourage them, right? Like, thank you so much for coming today. You're awesome. Merry Christmas. I'm so excited that I get to, I hope you have a great Christmas. I'll see you over break, right? And it's those things to instill empathy. Um, so cross-generational ministry, I think, is so important. Um, and it's honestly, you know... I didn't realize it tangibly, but I think it is one of the reasons that our vacation Bible camp is so successful here, right? Because it is cross-generational, not just for the kids that they interact with, but for the students. I think it plays just as much a role in students. Um, I mean, I have seen high school boys melt, right? When that second day of VBC, that kid runs up and wraps their arms around their knee, and they're just so excited to see them. Right, and it builds in the sense of community. yeah, community and caring and building empathy and realizing there's people that are watching me, 
Um, Somebody loves me. Yeah. And it's the same thing. I mean, adults, it's the same thing when you hang out with teenagers. You know? Um, you don't got to be cool. Okay? You're not. Okay? Um, I'm not. Okay? Um, and I make a profession out of it. Um, like, your job is to just know them. Be vulnerable. Empathetic. How are you doing? Right? Um, seeing how they're responding. Um, challenging them if you have enough um, capital. They're just good. Um, so showing empathy to others opens up doors for face-to-face vulnerability. And we learn to do this. We can best practice the gospel and give hope to others. Um, and then, again, showing empathy can break down huge barriers, right? Um, many, especially young men that I've talked to over the years, it just took one older person to kind of be that father figure and step in to where life began to change for them, right? Um, you have something to add, Ray? You just said challenging them if you have enough capital. What does that mean? Um, you can't go up to a teenager or an adolescent and challenge them to, let's just say, hey, you might not want to be on your phone at service all the time, right? You might want to see the other people around you. And if you say that and you have no capital with them, so kind of built-in relational capital, they're just going to see you as an old fogey that they never want to interact with again, right? But if you said hi every day for the past year and said, hey, I prayed for your test this week. How's that? How did your chemistry test go on Thursday? And then you say, hey, man, you know I love you, right? One of the ways that I think you can grow as a person is if you put your phone down when you come to the service on a Sunday. I think you'll get more out of your time with the community. Oh, that's probably a good idea, right? Um, Compared to just saying, um, just being kind of a, or fulfilling their expectation that you're just an old miser. Okay. <laughs> Rook's leading over. Okay, boys, let me tell you stuff. I've built up some capital. I just told him, don't use your phone. No, use your phone. Okay. And, and so I'm going to end with this story because it is, to me, it kind of links everything together um, about how this empathy, both giving empathy and receiving empathy, tears down bridges. And I will do my best not to weep during this story because it gets me, it just kills me every time, right? Um, so this was in the Roots of Empathy program. They're interacting with kids that are high aggression rates, and they're in an eighth grade classroom, right? Um, there's a young man who has been held back twice. So he's already, you know, his view of self is very low, but he does his best to kind of show that he has got it all together, right? Um, but at the same time, he's tough. So he's got a shaved head except for a ponytail that comes out the back. Um, he, he's very rough with kids. And they started doing this empathy program. And the reason this kid's rough, because he's had a rough life, right? Um, what people realize when they talk about toxic masculinity in the um, media, rarely do they realize that it is a result of traumatic um, masculinity. They've gone through trauma. And so that's the reason they're acting out in a specific way. Um, the left doesn't want to talk about that, and, and I think the right has just missed that opportunity, right? Because um, they don't realize that how screwed up men are right now. Um, so Darren, or oh, the kid, uh, the eighth grader, um, he, uh, he saw his mom murdered in front of him at the age of four. And has bounced around foster homes ever since then, right? He's hanging out with this empathy program. It's been a couple weeks. 
he's got to see the baby grow up. And he says, can I, the baby was crying. And so the kid asked, can I hold the baby and, and rock with him? Right? And the parent, because these are volunteer parents, was a little apprehensive because, okay, I kind of know your story. But she said yes. And Darren takes the baby and takes him over to uh, the corner and, and begins to rock the baby, right? Um, and he's over there for several minutes. And, and, um, and the process walls are being broken, right? He comes back. Baby's fine. If anything, is happier. He's had someone to snuggle with. And uh, Darren said, um, if nobody's ever loved you, do you think you can be a good father? Ooh. Right? Like, wow. Ooh. And that is when no empathy's been shown to you. Then there's that fear. There's that shame that we've talked about, right? It's built. But the giving of empathy and the ability to also receive empathy at the same time is what begins to break down those barriers. To to really love your neighbor as yourself. And suddenly they can see themselves as different. I do wonder if that, it's probably not the first time he's asked that question, but it's probably the first time that he had the guts to ask it and think that there's hope that it's a different answer. These type of things that we can do within our homes really can break down walls um, and within our churches. Um, so just to encourage you, um, are we allowing ourselves to become attached, connected, vulnerable, or does success, accolades, lack of time hold us back from seeing the man on the side of the road? And, and really it's, will we be the good Samaritan and, and help a generation learn how to do that too?